Let me ask you a question. Is there something paralyzing you right now? Maybe that's a dumb question because you're like, uh, Dave, obviously there's like a hundred things that are paralyzing me right now. And there, we're in a season where uh, it feels like there's certain messages and voices and circumstances that kind of inhibit us from moving forward. As we were praying this morning, deliver us from certain things and deliver us for things. One of the things that came to mind for what I want to share this morning out of John 15 is this prayer, Lord, deliver us from fear and deliver us for fruitfulness. And you might want to replace fruitfulness with flourishing or faithfulness. But here's the thing, and why I asked the paralyzing question today, because I was chatting with, with someone in our church community this week, and it's a common conversation I've had with a few people because I felt it myself. And what I was hearing from them is that there is this fear that everything is going to crumble around us, that tomorrow everything's going to crumble. And as we started to chat with one another, uh, just casually, we started to actually discern that our fears were really based on what could happen or what might happen or what the news channels are telling us. But it, there was no real reason to predict the crumble in our life anyways, but fear. It seems like fear was what was kind of crouching up inside both of us. And it made me think about this, that fear is often the stronger obstacle in our lives from living a fruitful life than physical obstacles or economic obstacles or even intellectual obstacles. It, it's incredible. Often fear is the biggest obstacle. In the passage that we've been reading the last couple of weeks, John 15, uh, and you can go to it on your own or listen back to the last couple of weeks as we read it fully the last two weeks, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And often we take that and then say, well, we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. But I like what Dallas Willard says. He says, if you do nothing, it certainly will be without Jesus. Because it's true, we can do nothing apart from him. But if we do nothing, it will be without him for sure. And so what I want to do today is I want to, we're going to end our time over the last few weeks in this passage in John 15, this incredible statement from Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, if you've got your Bibles, just open it to John 15 or, or read it later on. I'm just going to pick a few verses from this text as we've been living in it for the last few weeks. Now, the big idea that we've discovered together was that Jesus' disciples, as Jesus is giving them this incredible claim, declaration of who he is, the big idea is that Jesus' disciples would depend on Jesus just like a branch depends on a vine. And today, what I want to do is is move away from what we talked about last week, which was pruning or making room for growth, or even a couple of weeks ago, this fresh start, to the implications of what it means for a branch to be connected to a vine. And over six times or more, Jesus uses this word to describe one of the outcomes of what it means to have life in him. And the word he uses over and over again, and you can check it for yourself, is fruit. It's the word fruit. In fact, he uses the word fruit as much or more as he uses the word remain or abide, depending on your translation, to abide in him. It's incredible. He's letting us know that a branch connected to a vine will produce fruit. In fact, later on in verse 16 of chapter 15, Jesus literally tells his disciples, I've chosen you, I've appointed you 
so that you might bear fruit. In other words, it's like Jesus is saying, this is your purpose. This is your vocation, that as you, your life gets connected to mine, you're going to bear fruit. Um, obviously, like the last few weeks, I've had these images of plants and, and bushes and vines. And, and this week, I was thinking about a vineyard. And I don't know if you've ever visited vineyards. I've, I love to visit vineyards. And we visited a few in, in Niagara region and in the Sandbanks region. And just walking the vineyard and just walking through the plants, it's incredible. And uh, this last Tuesday night, we started a course called Alpha Marriage with 28 other couples, some from our church and some from outside our church. And uh, as the presenter started this, this course, uh, he had said something, him and his wife said something really cool. They, they alluded to one of their family members who works in a vineyard. And they listed four things that a gardener in the vineyard does to the vines. So four things. One is they're always adjusting the vine. They're often pruning the vine. They're often supporting the vine to make if it gets too heavy so it doesn't break. And they're often leaving time or space for certain vines or certain parts of the vineyard to be renewed. So adjusting, pruning, supporting, renewing. Think about those four things. They have one singular purpose. All those four things do one singular purpose. They keep the branches connected to the vine and to the roots for decades and decades of fruit. Some vineyards last decades decades, running families. And it's this singular purpose why all this stuff gets done in the vineyard for decades of fruit and produce. Now, one of the assumptions here when we think about fruitfulness in this text is that the core foundation is our dependency to Jesus, right? Apart from him, we can do nothing, right? So here's what I want to just kind of remind us of, and, and I'm not going to dwell on it long. Jesus, in this text, helps us see that he's two things for us, okay? Or he can be two things for us if he's not this already in your life. The source of life and the shape of life. The source and the shape. The first thing, the source. Jesus says in verse 5, if you remain in me, or some versions say, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is telling us and telling his disciples and us, he is the source of our lives. We're called to remain or abide in him. But it's, it's, it's more than that. Jesus is also the shape of our lives. Or when we're connected to him, he becomes the shape of our lives. A couple of verses down, verse 7, he says, if you remain in me as the source, right? Then he says, and my words remain in you. And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So, so the words of Jesus, right? The, the declaration of the gospel of God's kingdom, the message of Christ, the, the teachings of Christ, the vision, the values of Jesus, his words. And he says something pretty astonishing that you might uh, easily misply, misapply, and I know some people do. He says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done to you. So maybe you want to ask for a Mercedes, uh, maybe a seven-star vacation, Maybe you're looking for the gorgeous guy or the gorgeous girl uh, in your life. I don't know what it is. And maybe you're like, oh, sweet, ask for whatever I wish, and it'll be done for me. But it, it, he's not really saying that. That would kind of seem counterintuitive to who Jesus is. What he's letting us know is that when his words are in us, right? 
his message, his teaching, his vision and values, then we begin to pray in the way of Jesus and not just in our own way, right? How often do we pray like if we want like the empires of this world to succeed? And Jesus is like, no, no, when my words are in you, you start praying for my kingdom come and my will be done. Not whatever the current empire in North America, Canada, the States, or any other part of the world. Not their governing goals. No, no, you pray my kingdom, my will. You you pray the will of Jesus, not whatever cultural system is most popular at the time. So his words start to influence what we pray for. And that's why Jesus says, hey, pray whatever you wish as my words remain in you because something will take shape. You know, when I was growing up, and even to this day, I have these words of my dad or people that my dad invited into our house for supper. There was one guy who often came to our place, and he used to say this phrase, and I probably said it many times before. He said, take care of your character, and God will take care of your reputation. And that phrase became like a common phrase in our house. It became a word or a phrase that we would say often, and it just instilled this thought, this, this idea in me that, yeah, you know what, nurture your character. Nurture, don't be so worried about your reputation. Nurture your character. God will take care of the rest. There was another phrase my dad used to say. He used to say, hey, Dave, if the car of your dreams is on sale for $1,000, but you don't have $1,000, don't go buy the car. So I I used to hear this phrase like so often or variations of this phrase, and it's shaped the way I think about money, the way I think about purchasing things or saving for things or holding off on something. And so here's what I'm getting at. The words that I grew up with or that became important to me started to shape me and influence me and became part of the ideas, the worldview that governs my life and my decisions. That's what Jesus is saying. I was speaking to a, um, a young adult girl in our church this week, Abigail Vibihal. Actually, a shout out to her because she's finished her graduate, um, undergrad degree at, um, at university. So, woohoo! Awesome, Abigail. And a whole bunch of students that are just like working super hard in this season. But I was chatting with her and I asked her, like, hey, what do you, any, anything you're reading these days? And she was telling me that she's reading through John's gospel. And I asked her what jumps out at her. And She said, you know, lately, as I've been reading John's gospel, I've come to discover that Jesus often reminds us that he has everything under control. The way her literal words were, it's like Jesus is telling me or telling us, hey, don't worry, I've got this. Don't worry, I've got this. And, And as I was listening to her, I realized how important it is for the words of Jesus to begin to shape us, Right? They, his, that Jesus is the source and the shape of our lives means that he is establishing the dominating narrative of your life, of my life. Now, here's the, here's the clue where we're going to get back to fruitfulness. When Jesus is the source and when he's the shape of your life or my life, you know what we all receive? We all get clarity on our vocation. We get clarity on our purpose. And one of the key things Jesus is saying here, that when he's the source and shape of our life, is this. We become fruitful people. We become fruitful in God's kingdom and God's kingdom work, but also overflowing into the world. Jesus says, I've chosen you to bear much fruit. 
Think about that for a second. Jesus has, when we come to know Jesus and follow Jesus and trust Jesus, he has appointed us or given this, us this purpose or vocation to be fruitful. Now, to be fruitful means to produce something with your life, right? When we say the word produce, just this week I went to pick up um, at a warehouse, they were selling like a $150 worth of fruit for like 100 bucks. It was a sweet deal. I went, got in my car, I had like four boxes of produce, right? Because something grew. These things grew. They didn't just come out of nowhere. They grew. They were produced. It was an outcome or a result. And that's what fruit is. It's a produce. And, and when we think of fruitfulness, we think of maybe what it means to be productive or to be a contributor or to be stewarding your gifts and your resources for the common good. As a Christ follower, it means that, that we begin to understand that we're an instrument for God's kingdom. When we pray today, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, Lord, use us. We're an instrument for your kingdom, for my neighbors and my school and my workplace, that, that your kingdom would be proclaimed and demonstrated in these pockets of society. But if you're like me, and uh, I'm human, like the rest of us, we can be tempted that when we see the word fruitful, we automatically think, well, a prosperous life. Kind of the way that culture defines prosperous. I, even in these days when there's this horrible thing going on in the world, unfortunately, the message we often get is like, what's the markets doing? What's the markets doing? Or, you know, like, how are we going to keep the country prosperous? And, and don't get me wrong, I think we need a healthy economy. But we're tempted often to see fruitful as prosperous, like, oh, if I've achieved something great, or if I'm famous in people's eyes, or if I've become this kind of person that manages my money in some way or invests my money in some way, or maybe I've developed, I have these perfect relationships now, that's prosperous, that's fruitful. And there's no doubt, like, some of this can happen. In fact, it does happen when Jesus is the source or the, the shape of your life. I mean, there's no doubt that his ways are better and his ways lead to every aspect of your life. And so your life can grow. It can begin to look better and, and, and feel better. His wisdom will produce a better life. I mean, it does help you in your relationships and in your finances and how you think of the stuff in your life or how you, you approach certain things. He, he does change our mind and our hearts and our attitudes. So, yeah, life does, can look better. But the main fruit produced with Jesus as the source and shape of our lives is not something that necessarily um, looks prosperous like the world likes to talk about prospering. In fact, Jesus says in this passage later on that the main fruit produced in our lives is love. It's not wealth. It's not great human achievement. It's not... Um, you know, healthy relationships. All this is cool. It's important. It's love. He, he didn't define these other things that love can actually, could also lead towards in some ways, but he defines love as the main fruit that comes in our connection with Jesus. So, verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commands, 
you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. There's something about following Jesus, following his commands that gets us rooted back into his love. He's talking about obedience, what it means to obey him. Because, hey, Jesus has all authority. He's the Lord of our life. So we obey him, we follow him, we trust his authority. But look at what he says his commands are. I mean, we can list a ton of his commands, but Jesus seems to sum it up in this. Verse 12 and 17, he says the most identical thing. He says, my command is this. You ready? Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Isn't that incredible? I mean, Jesus' great commandment in the Gospels is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Here, he's saying that as, we, as our lives are sourced in, in him and shaped by him, we start to bear fruit, and that fruit looks like our obedience in him, our obedience to love one another. Obedience looks like love. Obedience looks like love because love is commanded by Jesus. Obedience to Jesus looks like love and love of one another because love is commanded by Jesus. That, that's something we, we need to wrestle with, that this idea of a fruitful life has to be um, seen and guided by this framework of love. In fact, Jesus then defines love like this, in verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's love. So Jesus is actually now describing love for us, the fruitful life that gets produced is sacrificial love for one another. So what does love look like? It looks like sacrifice. It looks like serving. It looks like caring. It looks like putting others' interests before you. It looks, like try, it looks like being humble. It looks like thinking of others. It, it looks also like doing for others. This love that lays down one's life for their friends. This week, um, actually... Mike Hum welcomed us today and is going to actually close our gathering uh, when we're done today. But I was chatting with him this week, and um, he was encouraged because we've been walking through John 15. And he said, Dave, uh, I actually bought my wedding rings this month. Woohoo! Yeah, Mike is getting married to Vicky in, in October. Now, he said, he said, you know, I actually engraved John 15, 1 to 17, inside my wedding ring. So talking about it the last couple of weeks has been really cool for him. And, he, and, and I said, well, why, why that verse? Why that passage? Why that whole passage? Like, why you want to think about these 17 verses? And he said this, two things. He said, one, you know, Vicky and I want, to, want Jesus to be the source of our lives and our marriage, which is awesome. But then he said, you know, Jesus goes on to say that, that our relationships, our, our love for one another is supposed to be sacrificial. So my hope is that, like, our life our love for each other can be sacrificial and our love for others can be sacrificial. This love that reflects the love of Jesus. I'm like, what a great reminder inside 
a wedding ring. Now, maybe you're not married or maybe you're thinking, well, does this not apply to stuff outside of marriage? Of course it does. Don't reserve this kind of sacrifice for marriage. In fact, Jesus wasn't talking about marriage here. He was talking about love for one another. So it's way beyond marriage. And that brings me to these two people in our church community that remind me of this often, but particularly this last week, and it's Keith and Joan White. And uh, if they're watching, they're like, Dave, why are you mentioning my name? But here's the thing. Keith and Joan, every Monday before COVID-19 ever took place, every Monday for the last little while, they've gone with 20 other people to a food bank in the West Island, On Rock Food Bank in Pierrefonds, and they have put together packages of food for under-resourced people that gets delivered every week for a couple of hundred of people. A couple hundred people get this food. And they were part of the team that brought it together. And as I was chatting with, with Keith recently, I realized that him and Joan still, every Monday, not 20 people now, there's only eight or 10 of them, and they're all far apart from each other, and they're all wearing gloves and masks, and they're keeping each other accountable, saying, hey, you touched your face, change your gloves. And they're serving the needs of the poor in our community together. Now, I, I say this, and that in general for anybody is sacrificial love. But I love thinking about this for Keith and Joan, and they're very strong people, but I'm going to out their age a little bit. They're, they're, they're older. They're retired. They're in their retiring years. Officially, what we hear on the news, the vulnerable percentage that gets exposed to this virus. But Keith texted me something a few weeks ago when they came back into town, and, and he said, hey, we have idle hands waiting to serve. He's like, we're waiting. We're, we're, we're ready to serve where needed. And I, I caught that and caught this idea of the servant's heart, what it means to sacrificially love others. This last week, there's been a group of us at Westside dialoguing, brainstorming, starting to pray about how we can serve the seniors' residents down the street from our church. And Joan was part of that call, and her gut reaction was, hey, let's get the signs ready. Let's get the food ready. Let's get the chocolates ready. Let's get ready so we're ready to serve. There was this posture of, how do we serve one another? And I love this because a couple like Keith and Joan or others that we know, you know, there's other parts of our life. I mean, particularly for them, they're, they have uh, grown-up children that they care for and grandchildren. They have other things in life that they're passionate about. And that's important. There's all parts of life, work and, and, and employment and family and neighborhoods and even hobbies, all good stuff. But there, here's this picture that Jesus gives of a fruitful life. And we can bear fruit in all aspects of life. And I really believe that what we're talking about today does overflow into our gifts and our skills and our work and our homes. But at the heart of it, the picture of a fruitful life is sacrificial love, is love for one another. So I want to end right now just asking you this question. How is sacrificial love showing up in your life? And I, I got to ask myself that question. How is sacrificial love showing up in my life? Does your spouse notice it if you're married? Does your, do your kids notice it if you're parenting? Do your friends notice it? Do your neighbors see it? Does your boss or your manager see love in your work? in your attention to work, and your faithfulness in work? If you're a boss or a manager, do your employees see love in your leadership? 
Right? If a fruitful life in Christ is, is a life of love for one another, does it show up in marriages and parenting and relationships and neighborhoods and workplaces? Does it show up in these places? Maybe I'll ask a couple of questions, but I want you to ask the, think about these things first. It's so vital. But here's another way to think about it. Are you loving people in prayer? We're like, well, how do I love someone in prayer? Well, you pray for them. Maybe there's someone you're mad at or someone that um, you've come, you know, you're struggling with or someone you know that's just going through a hard time. And one of the ways you can love people is through prayer. If I knew that you were praying for me every day, I would feel loved by you. Of course, there's tangible ways that that happens, but prayer is also tangible. Are you loving people in prayer? What about even more broader? How does sacrificial love look like with your time? How does sacrificial love look like in the way you use your money? Do people feel loved with your time and with your money? Right now, as, as the Western world is definitely in need, we look at other parts of the world going through COVID and we see the dire needs, millions of kids that will not have food, uh, millions of, of migrant workers that would struggle to even put a piece of bread on the table. And I, I, I ask the question, you know, do these people, do these needs get our time and our money sacrificially? We can love through our prayer. We can love through our time. We can love through our money. So ask yourself this question. How is sacrificial love showing up in your life? If you're a follower of Jesus and you claim to be a mature follower of Christ or you claim I'm growing in Christ, that's awesome. If you're reading your Bible, great. If you're learning about Jesus, awesome. If you're getting to know the doctrines of the church, really, really good. If, you're, if, you're, if the, message, the message of Christ is, is growing and permeating your heart, really, really great. But here's Jesus' proposition for you, his calling to you, his, his, his um, purpose for you, that you would bear fruit. And fruit to Jesus looks like love, obedience and love, because his commands are love. And here's, here's the beautiful thing. Because if you are not experiencing that or moved towards that, you really have to ask yourself, how deeply connected I am, I am to Jesus? Is it just in my head? Is it just in my thoughts? Is it just in my knowledge? Is it just in my expertise of scripture or doctrine? No, it must grow out in love. But here's the beauty, here's the beauty of this, and I hope this encourages you, and I hope it also feels like a call to anyone who's listening today that might not even be a follower of Jesus. Jesus promises something that comes with this kind of fruitful life, and it's this. This kind of fruitful life is joyful. It's joyful. Jesus says that, he says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Man, when, when Jesus is the source and shape of our lives, when you allow God to, be the pr to prune your life, you know, like a, like a branch gets pruned, when, when, when fruitful, sacrificial love is the outcome of your life, Jesus says you will experience joy. It will come and it will grow in you. And you're like, really? Man, right now I feel like taking a nap. <laughs> right now I feel like escaping. Right now I feel like just getting away from all this. Right now I just wish I could do X, Y, or Z and not worry about this stuff. Well, let me tell you something. I don't believe for a second 
that you will find joy in one of two extremes. Some people look for meaning in, and they find their lives being reckless apathy, just reckless apathy. The other, the other extreme is restless achievement. You know, we have this sometimes pull and push in our culture. Maybe I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to escape. And it leads to this reckless apathy. Or the other side is I'm just going to do more, do more, do more, and feel like my value is in that work. And that's restless achievement. Neither extremes are meaningful. Both extremes are tiring. And both extremes rarely bring fulfillment. But Jesus tells us that a fruitful life defined by love, there's joy in that life joy in that life. So I encourage you to pursue Jesus with all your heart, to get sourced in him, to let his words shape you, and to watch how he grows fruit out of, out of your life as you're connected to him. Let's pray for a moment. And I'm going to invite some of our guests maybe following today for the first time, or maybe some who might feel like they're just starting to know Jesus or just joined us and don't know what Christianity is all about, and you're like, I want this joy. I want this kind of fruitful living. I want to feel that kind of love overflowing out of me. Well, I invite you to put your trust in Christ. Jesus must become the source and shape of your life for this journey to start. So as we pray, would you consider just slowly making that step and getting in contact with us so we can help you through that journey? Let me, let me pray for all of us, for you, and for all of us together today. Our Heavenly Father, the great gardener, <laughs> the one who prunes our lives so we can be ready for growth. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that we are invited and welcomed and that a way has been made for us to put our lives in him, to abide in him, to remain in him, to be sourced in him. Thank you that there's been a way possible for for the words of Christ to remain in us, not just as we read them, but as your Holy Spirit impresses them on our hearts and gets them dug deep down into our hearts and our minds. God, may we be sourced in Christ and shaped by Christ, and then we trust, Lord, that you will grow a life of fruitfulness in us. God, right now, maybe for some of us that have been following you for a while, maybe we've been proud of our knowledge or our maturity or our length of years following you. But as we're listening today and reading these words from Jesus, we feel a deep conviction in us that we have not grown in love, that we have not loved one another as you have loved us, that it's been far from sacrificial. Sometimes it's been more selfish. God, forgive us. Help us to be so much more rooted in Christ so his life and his words shape us. And God, may we, may we be known as people that love and that this fruit grows in us. God, for some listening today for the first time, as they begin to take steps to trust you, may they start experiencing this incredible joy. And God, ultimately, we trust you that this is the most joyful life, to surrender to you, to let your words shape us, and to live in obedience to you, a life of love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.